Section 3 of the National Geographic Magazine, Volume 7, July 1896. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carol Cotter, MerlotTranslations.com. A Journey in Ecuador by Mark B. Kerr, C.E. I left Panama on June 26, 1894, and two days later made my first stop at Buenaventura. Here, a Californian, Mr. J. L. Cherry, is building a railroad to the interior of Colombia to penetrate Cauca Valley, probably the richest district in quartz and placer gold mines in South America. The railroad here has been completed to Cordoba, some 30 or 40 miles inland from this town. Transportation across the mountains is effected by packing. On June 30th, I arrived at Tumaco, on the borders of Colombia and Ecuador, at the mouth of Rio Mira. From this point inland, via Patia River and Barbacoas, another mule trail leads to the interior of Colombia, this and the one already noted being the only ways of reaching the interior from the Pacific. At Tumaco, the fruit is delicious, mangoes, pineapples, oranges, and apricots being finer than at any other place I visited. The next river southward, in Ecuador, is Rio Santiago. Between this river and the Mira, there is, at high water, a deep and narrow interior channel or sound, which is generally traversed by canoe in preference to the rougher outside journey by sea. In this portion of Ecuador, transportation is entirely by canoe, as the Andes rise abruptly from the Pacific, culminating in the immense peaks of Chimborazo, 20,498 feet, and Cotapaxi, 19,480 feet. The only regular route to the interior in Ecuador is the rough road from Guayaquil to Quito, crossing the Andes at an elevation of 14,000 feet just south of Chimborazo. On the journey from Tumaco, I was accompanied by an Englishman named Nelson. The first day out, we stopped for the night in this interior channel. The vegetation was dense and thick, and parasitic vines stretched completely across the waterway. Many different kinds of parrots, combined with innumerable insects and lizards and a few monkeys, to make night hideous and when a sharp, curious noise like a dog bark caused my friend to thrust his head from under his leafy canopy in the canoe to inquire, What is that noise? I answered, An equi-snake. Nelson dropped back under his ranch, and when he ventured out in the morning, remarked, What an infernal country, when even the snakes bark. We followed the inland passage to the mouth of Rio Santiago, and ascended this river twelve miles to Bourbon. The passage was so narrow and the vegetation so thick as to give the impression of floating through a forest. At Bourbon we found a warehouse which thereafter served as our base of supplies. The Spaniards knew of gold placers on the Santiago over two hundred years ago and brought in negro slaves to work them. The descendants of these slaves now people one branch of the river, numbering over 1,500. They crowded out the natives, the Cayapas Indians, about 1,000 in number, who retired to another fork of the same river. At Borbum, the Santiago Forks, the left, northern, and decidedly smaller branch retaining the name, while the right fork is called Cayapas, after the native tribe. 
the old semi-civilization of south america and central america seems to have been confined to the elevated plateaus particularly in peru and ecuador and there only do we find rooms of remarkable buildings constructed by the incas such as those of quito cuzco and lake titicaca when pizarro conquered this region in the earlier half of the sixteenth century many of these people fled before the conquistador and established new homes along the banks of these torrential rivers which plunge into the pacific after a limited course usually seventy-five to one hundred miles these rivers would seem magnificent if they were not surpassed by the grandeur of their neighbours the orinoco and the amazon santiago river and its branches rise in the snowy crest of the andes and the cayapas indians are probably descendants of the chimec or chibcha who conquered neither by inca nor spaniard retired to remote districts and held themselves aloof from strangers along most of the rivers descending from the andes to the pacific in ecuador gold was found in small quantities by the spaniards in this eager search for the yellow metal the indians were forced to give way and now in their homes along the banks of the cayapas they meet all strangers in an inhospitable and surly manner the negroes have borrowed many customs and useful arts in weaving house-building etc from the cayapas indians and having retained many old habits of their former african abode combined with some of the worst traits of the inferior whites may be summed up as being phlegmatic ignorant superstitious without strong family ties or sense of gratitude their superstitions take the form of incantations to prevent accidents and especial trouble is taken to prevent the devil from taking possession of infants some respect is felt for the priest who occasionally visits here but with these negroes religion is only another word for superstition but to return to my journey on july seventeenth we left bourbon and proceeded by steam launch twenty-eight miles up rio cayapas grasses ferns and bushes mostly of the class umbelliferae lined the banks and mingled with the coconut trees the breadfruit the splendid royal palm and the mango with its spreading and symmetrical foliage these magnificent trees with their large leaves strained imagination to the utmost and utterly deceived the eye in grasping proportions while lost in silent admiration of such a wealth of vegetation we turned a sharp bend of the river and over the thatched huts of the natives could be seen the overhanging feathery tufts of the bamboo which softened as well as lightened up the intensely dark hue of vegetation in the background this was the headquarters of napo the gobernador of the cayapas a judicious presentation of beads and buttons ensured us a pleasant reception from the chief and he detailed a guide for us on the upper river the house of the gobernador was on stilts as is the case with most of these houses and was built like a long rectangle one hundred by sixty feet two large fireplaces wooden boxes elevated about three or four feet above the floor and filled with sand and some large flat stones sufficed for cooking purposes while four small extensions two on each side of the house like bay windows served as sleeping apartments for the different members of the family the men are well formed of good stature beardless with glossy black hair and splendid chest development while the women being forced to do all the work are generally small coarsely fat 
and disfigured by black streaks across their faces arms and breasts they wear an embroidered cloth of their own manufacture tied around the waist and reaching to the knee and the men wear a garment like swimming trunks made of the same material boiled plantain beaten into cakes between the two flat stones constituted supper and breakfast after supper the women engaged in weaving cloth from shreds of plantain fibre and through this embroidered long pieces of cotton dyed by rolling cotton in natural blues and reds through the cloth like wax ends this cloth all handmade was when completed extremely handsome reminding one of the figures and colouring of german embroidery the men amused themselves lolling in hammocks or playing on the marimba an instrument made of upright pieces of bamboo with pieces of hard wood laid across them in tone like a xylophone sometimes they played minor chords on another instrument like a harp a fire of a sort of resinous wood served to light up the scene until night fell black and damp and we were lulled to sleep by the crackling flight of large beetles and the occasional hoarse bark of a tree frog or lizard early the next morning we visited the trapiche or sugar-cane press of the chief here two huge wooden rollers set close together pressed the cane stalks and large metal vessels received the juice distilling pots were placed conveniently near all the apparatus had apparently been in use for many years these natives make light and swift canoes and leaf-shape paddles and are also skilful in weaving hats fans and hammocks from the many-coloured rushes and grasses from the pitta they make fish nets and lines and by whipping a small stream diving and keeping the net close to the bottom they enclose the fish in a small space when men women and children have great sport in spearing them besides this the men are skilful fishermen and when the river is high an indian can often be seen with one hand holding his pole and the other propelling and guiding his canoe in a manner worthy of the most scientific sportsman they also make a sort of vegetable cloth by beating off the outside covering of strips of tanahakwa bark which afterwards by repeated washings becomes pliable by some means of rapid signalling our progress up the river was anticipated but thanks to the kind office of our friend the governador although not altogether hospitably received we were still permitted to pass along without question along the whole course of this river we found different clans living in communal style in these large houses similar to the house of the chief skilful in weaving cloth and carving figures out of wood without doubt arts from a higher civilization the custom of removing the bones from the head of the dead and then drying and embalming the latter seems confined to the serranos on the upper plateaus but i saw one of these heads about the size of an ordinary ball with perfect hair and features this tribe is entirely pure and although most of them understand the spanish of the country they use their own language among themselves reaching the head of steam navigation we again took to our canoes the river swollen by recent rains rushed down at a furious rate and the native boatmen clinging to roots and overhanging bushes used vigorously both paddle and pole shouting and babbling to each other louder even than the roar of the water we encountered mostly sedimentary rocks until we reached the sepayo the bedrock then was soft and contained fossil shells some of them belonging to the chico group 
a short distance up this river the formation changes immediately above an altered sandstone and slate and then granite and quartz occur in this apolite the quartz is gold bearing but above it is barren further above occur the diabase rocks and lavas to the crest of the mountains outside of the sapolite and sapayo grande the rocks are base gabbro-like and carry no gold the float of the sapayo grande shows crystals of quartz and brazilian topaz but none of the stones we saw were valuable having reached the head of canoe navigation on cayapas river and made an examination of the placers there we built a hut after the native fashion and made our second base camp my plan was to cross the cordillera and examine the rocks and topography of the country between the rivers cayapas and santiago we found here an old trail running into the interior across the andes to the town of cotocachi no white man had ever gone so high up the river or attempted the interesting journey across the andes on account of the heavy rainfall about thirty inches a month it is very difficult to preserve negatives and even clothing soon becomes mildewed a great many of my exposures were ruined and most of the negatives were spotted by the dampness thus my photographs are few and imperfect leaving all our miscellaneous equipage at this camp we decided to cut our way along the old trail never before in all my experience had i encountered such a wealth of vegetable and insect life as here in the depths of the equatorial forest many-coloured moths butterflies and hummingbirds fluttered from plant to plant and even snakes toads and lizards were clothed in prevailing bright hues the snakes were generally about the size of the rattlesnake with flat heads and large fangs and many of them were venomous the boa here does not reach so great a size as on the amazon drainage the largest we saw being eight feet long and three inches thick on some of the smaller streams one species of reptile light green in colour had an uncanny way of dropping unexpectedly from trees once in a while actually dropping into our canoe as we passed two large copper tanks were filled with different species of reptiles one earthworm was found two feet long a cockroach three inches and a grasshopper three and one-half inches in length large fireflies with two phosphorescent eyes were plentiful and they made a crackling noise in flight during the night we stuffed cotton in our ears not alone to drown the droning and buzzing of the insects but also to prevent the pests from crawling in while we slept four or five natives in charge of an assistant were sent ahead with provisions to put up ranches a ranch here is a temporary camp of cane and palm leaves and with three others i brought up the rear the vegetation changed somewhat and became semi-tropical in character the red cedar predominating and although there was not the same dense jungle as below still the underbrush was luxuriant and our machete men were kept busy in cutting out the large tangled roots and dense vegetation which obstructed our path up the ridges as we ascended the stream we noticed many butterflies on the playas toward evening the number increased until for an hour they passed over our heads in perfect swarms like locusts we passed two falls by swimming and climbing along the edge of the rocky bank until it was too steep to even afford foothold 
we then made a raft of light balsa wood and passed along the cliffs to the third fall wearied by our work we pitched our tent along the edge of the canyon about thirty-five feet above the water for the sake of convenience our jamaican cook had pitched his camp under a shelving rock about twenty feet above the water shortly after dark we heard the distant thunder in the mountains and in two hours before we had time to realize what had happened the water had come down in one solid sheet of white foam and washed our kitchen away leaving us however the cook the water rose thirty feet and then gradually subsided having just missed carrying away our entire camp after we left the river one high ridge was reached only to plunge again into a ravine on the other side for the trail carried us across the many forks of the sapayo grande we made only four or five miles a day one day having a particularly rough and difficult journey to make we failed to reach our camp and remained all night upon the cordillera the darkness fell rapidly suddenly a peal of thunder was heard followed by a sound like a rushing furious wind through the treetops the signal of approaching rain it came in torrents wetting us through and through and putting out our fire the earth like a sponge filled to repletion received and gave off its additional moisture making the air intensely humid we sat up the rest of the night clinging to the roots of the trees hearing the whirr of innumerable birds the buzz of countless insects the howling of wild cats while large firebugs and a phosphorescent gleam from decayed vegetation spread a weird glow that only served to intensify the darkness on the fourth day we reached the main divide or cordillera overlooking rio santiago eight thousand feet above the sea and leading direct to the summit of Cotocachi. This peak is included in the scheme of triangulation and observation of Juan and Oloa, Humboldt and Pisces. At this point the Andes began to show their power. Numerous streams fall in beautiful cascades over the cliffs and disappear in the vegetation below, while not far away looms up a snowy summit, 17,000 feet above sea level after extending our reconnaissance to the river we returned over our trail and down the cayapas to the headquarters at borgon for some reason we were avoided by the natives and even treated with open signs of enmity however we had accomplished all we wished in limiting the areas containing the gold gravel and in making a rough but interesting trip in a very short time End of section three.